surely healthy friendships are better than unhealthy ones. But what does that exactly mean? What does it mean for a friendship or a relationship of any kind to be healthy? You're listening to Friendship Matters. Years ago, I did my independent master level research on how student peer leaders responded to high intensity situations like mental health disclosures, violence, or other forms of crisis. I wanted to know the right way to respond and process that secondary trauma because I felt like I had taken care of myself incorrectly after responding to a crisis of one of my peers. My analysis led me to believe that some student leaders knew how to process intensity in healthy ways, and others, like myself, had unhealthy coping strategies. Months later, I emailed my academic advisor asking what struck her the most from my research. When she responded, health was in quotations. It was the first time I can remember it really resonating with me that the term health needed a definition, or rather that healthiness was not as clear-cut or simple as I thought. I want to be very clear here. Not needing to give the concept of health much thought is certainly a privilege. My relationship with health has changed since my research paper. I've since spent time on disability Twitter and disability TikTok. I've learned more on how to navigate my own chronic illnesses. I've read articles and books from disability justice authors. And I have learned more about the ways that the U.S. healthcare system disproportionately causes harm to Black and Indigenous patients to birthing parents, to intersex and trans folks, and to incarcerated people. My positionality, the way that I am able to move through the world, given my social class and my race and many other things, impacts the way that I have been socialized to understand the word healthy and to be able to to take health for granted. The term healthy relationships also doesn't inherently have a clear-cut or simple definition. And so while I want to embark on this podcast journey with the hopes of uncovering how to grow healthier relationships, it's first important to investigate what I even mean by that. My aim here is not to end up with a one-and-done description of what health means and how that term may be applicable to all conversations about healthy friendships or other healthy interpersonal dynamics. Instead, I want to share a lot of different perspectives to create a baseline shared knowledge. You'll notice at the start of this conversation, it will focus heavily on academic research, which is in and of itself uh, biased and skewed in a particular way. But that doesn't, that is not where the conversation ends by any means. My hope then is that we can have conversations about health 
and better articulate what we truly mean when we use that word for shorthand. Uh, so this is acknowledgement number two. People, as you know, have been on this planet for a whole heck of a long time, which means that medical theory has perpetually shifted. Its cultural differences have ebbed and flowed as empires and genocides uh, have occurred. Some of the most current and prolific ivory tower discourse about the term health comes from the Western medical field. These next few episodes will be kicking off using the 1940 WHO definition of health, not because this marks the start of history or, or even the most important cultural commentary of our current era. It's just that when I collected a lot of journal articles, this is where most of them began. So I'll be taking this definition apart for about two episodes, and then we'll move on to conversations about health that exist outside of the ivory tower. In 1948, after World War II, the World Health Organization was founded. Their inaugural definition of health was a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, not merely the absence of disease and infirmity. In the 73 years since, this definition has been critiqued and acclaimed by multiple professions. And in today's episode, I'm going to dive into the very first half of this definition. This is Friendship Matters, investigating the why behind how we make, keep, and end friend relationships. In that first half, the WHO defined health in part as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being. The image this first conjures up for me is kind of like a binary checkbox where you're yes, fully healthy, or no, not healthy at all. There's something about it that feels near impossible uh, to be complete physically, mentally, and socially all at one time. I just, I am not sure about that. I'm not so sure about that. But alas, I'll dive into this piece by piece and we'll maybe figure some stuff out. First, there's the notion of health being a complete state. When I think of states, I kind of think about elements in the natural world. And so I started thinking about H2O, where steam, ice, and water are all different states of the same thing. I like this idea because all three of those things are good and bad. They're like able to be nuanced, like in and of themselves. They're not inherently, intrinsically, or morally wrong. And yet there are times when one state may be more preferable to another state. For instance, I love steam in my shower and ice in my lemonade and water to go swimming in. But I don't love black ice on the roads or, I don't know, like steam in my flower beds. Could you imagine? 
like things are allowed to be a different state and they have benefit in those states. And H2O is never bad or wrong. Uh, It's more that the states of matter fit better in different situations. And yet, when I think of the term health, it isn't really used like that. Not when we're using the word like state of health, right? It gives me more of a sense of a, a light switch where there's a toggle and you've got the haves and the have nots. You either are or you are not. And it's definitely better to be healthy. In our society, too, there's a moral judgment and intrinsic understanding of like me as a human being. If I am in the state of unhealthiness, there's often this sense of unworthiness or immorality that water in all of its other forms doesn't get. So not only is there the morality of this, but the binary perspective where we toggle yes to being healthy and no towards unhealthy, with that perspective, I think it becomes easier to conflate things. Rather, everything that is not a complete state of healthiness can therefore feel like a complete state of unhealthiness. It takes away the gradient that comes into play when we are a mix of both things. This is important because there is not a single part of my day where I feel universally stagnant. I get hungry the closer I am to mealtime. I sleep. Sometimes I'm awake. I drink water and I need to pee. Like you could not take a 3D scan of me and replicate me and have a snapshot of me that is fully who I am. I am not only water or ice or steam, but I am many forms of myself coexisting at once. And it is being all of those parts of myself that makes me me. And so without the different states and forms of who I am, I am not complete. Researchers have also critiqued the notion of health being a complete state. Their rationale is that it lends itself to a utopian perspective. It feels unrealistic to assume that sort of perfection. For instance, researcher Fabio Leonardi highlights in one of his research papers that some scientific studies indicate that the average adult experiences about four physical and or mental symptoms in a 14-day period. So even in a short amount of time, we are not stagnant and we are not fully without maladies. Additionally, the number of people with chronic illness and lifelong disability have increased since the World War II era as modern medicine has developed. In the U.S., one in five people are disabled. A definition that supposes health status must be complete or whole inherently disenfranchises 20% of the population. These critiques of the idea of being in a state of complete health led the WHO to provide a different perspective years later. Instead of health being a state, it may actually be a process. 
I think about this in the same way that I think about the word perfect. As a verb, to perfect means to work towards completion or towards fulfillment. As an adjective, it means that the completion is finalized and flawless. So perhaps health is a verb. Health is the aim towards something as opposed to being fully and unilaterally situated within that something. In the brain space of relationships, I think that a binary concept of a complete state of health may inhibit our understanding of real life. When the bar is set impossibly high, all of our attempts to improve our friendships will fall short. And when those shortcomings happen, we don't have many options. You know, there's the ability to shame ourselves, to blame our friends, or we get to re-envision the definition of a healthy relationship. By perceiving health as a verb, as an aim that we're working towards, rather than as a complete state, I think there becomes more room for self-compassion and a space for more kindness towards the people we love. Next, in the WHO's definition, are the ideas of physical well-being, mental well-being, and social well-being. The largest critique of this definition has been the way that it broadens the concept of health. This plays out in a few different ways, but I'll be sharing two of them today. So first, there's a sense among theorists that certain definitions of health are neutral, that scientifically we can measure certain medical problems and therefore know someone's level of health. I take issue with this, as we'll get into in a later episode, because even our scientific definitions of disease are not universal. And in fact, what we've defined as scientifically proven medical problems have changed over the course of history. While some of these changes have to do with an advancement in medical technology, a significant number of these changes have come about because of cultural shifts. For instance, homosexuality was considered a mental illness by the APA until 1973. What was written off as science was perhaps something more morally biased. And yet... Researcher Fabio Leonardi stated in 2018 that including mental and social well-being into health conflates scientific assessment with moral and political arguments. While I disagree that scientific assessment has ever been without moral, political, and value bias, we can still take to heart the important point that as I am defining health in this podcast, that definition or definitions are inherently going to espouse my worldview and my preferences. And so, dear listener, I hope that as we move through this, 
you think critically about where your perceptions of health have come from and what aspects of health you want to value. Share with me what health means to you. Slide into my DMs at The Friendship Matters on Instagram and TikTok. Another issue with this broadening is that it then requires an improvement of our livelihood. To improve our mental and social well-being requires changing our living conditions. And critics suggest that improving livelihood or otherwise addressing social and political issues is a form of over-medicalization. Some believe that it's not within the purview of health professionals to address issues like poverty, discrimination, and other ethical or existential needs. And you know what? This might be fair enough. You know, solving a housing crisis is not going to put a cast onto a broken bone. I get that. And this critique is not that uncommon, It is in some ways validated by the introduction of the term social determinants of health. The U.S. Center of Disease Control and Prevention defines social determinants of health as conditions in the places where people live, learn, work, and play that affect a wide range of health and quality of life, risks, and outcomes. This is a giant field of study on its own. But for today's purpose, it is enough to think of social determinants of health as risk factors of unhealthiness versus unhealthiness itself. So, for example, while poverty is not a disease in and of itself, living day-to-day with limited financial resources can increase a person's chance of becoming sick. This mirrors the biological sentiment that exposure to bacteria is simply an introduction of risk or benefit to a person's body. And that it is only when the body becomes sick from the bacteria that the human is deemed unhealthy. The bacteria is just doing what bacteria do. It isn't unhealthy just for existing. And that differentiation, you know, differing between the determinants of health, those risk and benefit factors, and health itself can be incredibly important. I specifically want to highlight the fact that an individual's health is directly impacted by their physical and sociopolitical environment. And we need to take care to not conflate social ills with the people who are disadvantaged by them. Because unlike bacteria, our physical and sociopolitical environments are not doing what they do. It's not value neutral in the same way. Our society was made. It is inorganic, which means that we can create environments that support 
better safety, security, and health instead of reproducing what we currently have. And so since my aim here is to create healthier people and healthier relationships, my goal is to also change society. One key element of prevention in mitigating unhealthiness in friendships is to reduce the amount of risky determinants and to increase access to beneficial determinants of health. Which means that in this aspect at least, I disagree with the critique of a broader definition of health. It seems incorrect to exclude systemic oppression from health. I doubt that we can truly be healthy if we are experiencing harm from microaggressions to hate crimes. I do not believe it is one person's or one practitioner's role to address all components of an improved livelihood, but I do believe that all of us working towards a healthier future have to be engaged in some way in changing our communities. We each have a role in the health of others. So, so far, my own working definition of health is something like this. One, It includes individuals, interpersonal relationships, and our environments. We personally can make choices that lead to better wellness outcomes, and we are each impacted by the wellness of those we are connected to and to the structures of our physical and sociopolitical world. Because of the way that health, risk, and benefits are intertwined, none of us can build a truly healthy future without improving aspects at all three levels. Two, health is not stagnant, which means health is a verb. It's a description of becoming or doing or growing in a direction rather than being a point of achievement. This notion contradicts the idea that health is a complete state. Rather, it's looking at health as something more like a collection of sliding scales. I see it as a lot of different facets of our existence fluctuating across their own individual spectrums where we can zoom out to determine if the overall picture of who we are existing in this moment is in a space that feels well to us. Three, health is achievable and it is achievable for everyone. Researchers Cron et al. made it clear that we can be healthy and have limitations. When I envision health as a collection of continuums, I am not suggesting that we have to, or even ought to, be complete in each aspect. The aim is to work towards abundance rather than hope to achieve some sort of metric perfection. Additionally, health cannot exclude people with disabilities or people who can otherwise not function in the normative ways that Western culture demands. Four, health is not going to have the same meaning at all times. It varies with personal values, life changes, and cultural conversations. 
The way that I understood health seven years ago is different than the way I conceptualize it now. And what may feel like a useful description to you today may not be complex or inclusive enough for you a few months down the line. The way we make meaning out of things will change as we learn and experience more. Additionally, when we come to value different things throughout the course of our lives, the way we prioritize aspects of our health will also understandably fluctuate. Alas, these aspects of a working definition make sense in my life as it is now. I would love to hear from you. Does this resonate or do you disagree? What are your thoughts about the World Health Organization's idea that health is a complete state of mental, physical, and social wellness? Send me an email, slide into my DMs, or record an audio message. Details in the episode description. And of course, if anything in this episode tickled your brain, please share this episode with your friend. Friendship Matters is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you may listen. In the next episode, we'll be diving into the second half of the WHO definition, which states that health is not merely the absence of disease and infirmity. As you'll find out, disease and sickness is also highly contested. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Friendship Matters, a podcast about the grief and celebration of changing relationships. This episode was recorded and produced by Chamomile Podcasting in Denver, Colorado. Today's music was Chopin's Waltz in A-flat major. OP 34 number one, performed by Olga Guerovich and hosted by MuseOpen. Research referenced are cited in the online show notes. Special thanks to Ella Cross, Oscar Nahara, and Gina Seafree. All rights reserved. <laughs> <laughs>